Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everybody welcome back to podside picnic i'm here with carlo actually no uh carlo ditched because uh his internet went out whatever but that gives me an opportunity i get to hang out with ben winters you might have heard about him from the last policeman which is definitely on my list of top 10 he has a book out fairly recently i believe it was in may called the quiet boy which i just finished and uh I'm yammering now. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it came out in May. You are correct. Quiet Boy came out in May. Excellent. Yeah, so um, I, I guess we should just launch into it, right? But uh, I, I've noticed, I've, I've read, well, actually, I've read a lot of your stuff. I'll, I'll just own that. But I do see something again and again. I've noticed a pattern, and, and that's in several of your works, like The Last Policeman, Golden State, which is, I'm just, okay, knowing my audience, I'm just going to assume they've read The Last Policeman. If you hadn't, unsubscribe. Um, Golden State, which talks a lot about, um, I, I mean, how do I put this? It, it's um, lying is a crime. I guess is a good way to put it. And then and and then we have the quiet boy where the 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 framing device of it is basically a court case. And so the law plays a major part of conflict and resolution in what you do. Like when I first read the last policeman, I I, I sort of saw it as a relationship between like do what what makes you who you are when everything falls apart. Yeah. Like that's That's right. Okay, well, and that that really connected to me, and it still does. But now I'm seeing there's another thing going on, which is you like talking about the law and sci-fi. So could you talk about that a little? Like, is it personal interest, experience? Uh, what's going on? I am very interested in the law. I, it's funny. I, I never thought to frame my my, you know, my artistic whatever in that way, specifically about the law. But I do think that the law is an interesting kind of framework to think about our lives in general, right? Because the law is essentially like society's effort to build a kind of superstructure around right and wrong. Uh, you know, and, you know, it's the way that we sort of, it's the way that we place value on different acts, you know, like it's like literally in, in civil law, it's about placing a monetary value on on harms. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you do, if you steal from someone, you don't just have to repay. You also have to, you know, suffer a consequence of jail time in criminal law. But in like in civil law, if you, def- you know, if, if we enter into a contract and you break that contract, then like, what is that worth to me? You know, what do you owe me? And like, we have this whole kind of intricate system based on tradition, but also, uh, you know, precedent and the, and the kind of whims or whatever whims is the role, but you know, the, the decision-making of, of a judge and jury of like, what, what that number comes down to. And I just find that really interesting. So I guess I've always found it interesting. I also 
I come from from lawyers. My father um, is a lawyer. My brother is a lawyer. I, I married a lawyer. So like I, 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 whether that's chicken or egg, I'm not sure whether I've always been drawn to that world or whether like, you know, it's it sort of just been bred in me. I find it like a fascinating thing. So I guess all of which is to say is I never thought about it that way, but I'm not surprised that if it's a theme that runs through my work. Well, and that sort of answered another one of my questions, because on the one hand, like when you're reading The Last Policeman or The Quiet Boy, I mean, you can see somebody who knows the structure of like, how does a courtroom work? How do the different parties behave? But on the other hand, there's person, there's a terminology that you don't use, like making someone whole. Like, And every lawyer I know is given an electric shock unless they say making somebody That's whole. That's a good phrase, yeah. Yeah. And so like knowing that you come from the background and you have like your, your, your spouse and your family, like that connects. That makes a lot of sense. And well, that that's funny. And like, I, I, I am a big believer in, or a big practitioner of research. Like I love doing research for books. It's like my favorite part of writing. Cause like, it's so much, it's like, you feel like you're actually getting work done, but it's not nearly as emotionally difficult as actually <laughs> as the writing part. I'm serious. It's like, you know, so I'll, I'll research forever. I'll use it to procrastinate, which really it started with the last policeman. Cause I did a lot of research for that book, as you can imagine, both on the kind of astrophysics and then on all the the economics and the government, all this stuff that I'm trying to depict and also the police work mm -hmm. stuff. Right. So there's all these streams of research. So yeah. with the quiet boy, uh, there's a ton of law in there that I, I needed to get to really get into. And, and, you know, for all the lawyers in my family, my, my wife doesn't practice. She's a professor. She's an academic. Uh, and my father's retired. He was an intellectual property, a patent judge. Yeah. And my brother sure. actually of, of all these, my brother does, um, everything. My, my brother's like, a classic, just like a lawyer, lawyer. So he's in court. He does DUIs. He does divorce. He does, you name it. Um, but so, so I talked to him. But I also talked to like um, a lot of um, uh, medical malpractice attorneys, personal injury lawyers, uh, the kinds of lawyers who do the work that the the, the hero, quote unquote, does in this book. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's really important. Um, I really do, and I when people ask for advice on writing, which they rarely do, but I think it's really important to do that work to make sure that even if your reader has never been in a courtroom, has never experienced what you're trying to describe, they can smell BS. You know what I mean? So like the more that you can ground your storytelling in real details and like it just breathes better. It feels more real. Uh, and that is giving the reader the foundation for all the, the crazy shit you're going to do. It's got to be, it's got to live in a real world. Well, there, there was, there's a level at which you can talk about this stuff that is like 10th grade civics textbook where like the, the lawyers on both sides are trying to find the truth and everything is great, which is, which is true, but also it's very candy floss, yeah. but like you, you did a really good job. I mean, especially with the, well, I, 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 I could just. I, I like everything, so I, I'm I'm not going to go to specific books at the moment. But you you do a really good job of of looking at it in a realistic way, but being kind to the practitioners. Like none of, none of these people are villains, and that's a hard line to walk because, like, depending on where you're standing, any one of them can be a prick. Bluntly, yeah, I really don't. Well, I believe in villains. I think there are villains in the world, but I think in fiction writing, you got to I, I I think the joy in writing is in experiencing the the multiplicity of, of people, right? So like anyone can appear to us as a villain 
at, at first glance. Anyone can appear to us as a, as a noble person at first glance, but like there's so many levels to people in real life, right? They're level. And, and you, we, it's in our nature to make a, a quick superficial judgment of people and sort of slot them into our minds as being one thing or another. Sure. But, but like humans are so complicated and interestingly complicated. And I think that to me, one of the jobs, one of the jobs of a novelist is to take your characters in there to try to, to see them from all angles and to show the reader, the characters from all angles. And like, so yes, the, the, protagonist or one of the protagonists of this book is this lawyer who Jay, Jay Shank, who is really basically a scumbag. Like he, he's an ambulance chaser of the first order. And like he makes his living by essentially exploiting other people's grief and trauma. But at the same time, he cares about them and he couldn't do his work as well as he does if he didn't really care about them. And like he wants them to win. You know, he wants to win so he can make money, but he wants them to win. So to whatever extent it'll make them feel better, they can get that. And so like both things are true. You know, so he's a scumbag, but he is also someone who who deeply cares for these wounded people. And like, I think part of what I find satisfying in books so that I want to communicate in my books is that both things can be true. And like life is more interesting when you allow both things to be true. Yeah, that honestly, that that makes a ton of sense to me. And like one of one of the not to get on one of my hobby horses, but what the hell it is my podcast. Um, There's. so much of the things we consume for entertainment are designed to be consumed within 22 minutes, not including commercials that you like that complexity is almost always lost. And that's one of the cool things about books is that you, you can add the detail and you can meander to make it more realistic. And I, I think, I think that's part of the charm here is that, I mean, the, the, the quiet boy would be, would be a terrible, one hour made for TV TV movie. There's too much going on. Well, right. And also the things that I'm talking about that are necessarily complicated would, would be flattened. And actually like, that's one of the things that can be cool about TV right now. Not always, but that the kind of longer, you know, everything's a limited series or an ongoing, like they, <laughs> they're, they're making room sometimes for the, these more nuanced portrayals of the longer stories. But yeah, for sure. Um, that's part of what I wanted to do with this book. It's a long book, you know, and like, if they're two complicated interlocking stories and like, I wanted to make sure that all of it was given space to breathe and live and grow, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to skip ahead for a second. Uh, and I, I'm going to give people sort of a picture behind the curtain. I, I sometimes send questions in advance and I knew I, I, I was convinced I had you man, because like when when I read when I read Shank's personality and the way he talked to people, I'm like, that is the villain from Tim Power's Last Call. Like I know that Ben has a connection to Tim Powers. And I was completely, absolutely wrong. Um It happens. I just don't yeah. know. I don't happen to know that book, which is probably to my discredit. Um Well I mean, he's he's more of a mystic than you. I mean, like you both like the same conversational rhythms, but where you take them is different. So I guess where I want to go, since that question was just a bomb, was who are your influences? I know authors, like there are authors that resonated with you that you didn't necessarily copy, but you 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 looked at what they did and saw where it applied to you. Who are those people? Well, there are a bunch. I mean, with this one, the there's a big influence of Scott Turow, 
who is, you know, the great author of legal thrillers. And I think really a, um, he doesn't get enough credit as a true literary stylist. I think that the, the prose style and also the way he structures his books, when they're great, they are really, really oh, great. Oh, man, good for you. Like almost everybody I talk to is like, well, you know, Octavia Buckler and uh, Frank Herbert, you know, like I, it, it's so cool to find your own voice in the middle of this. That's awesome. Thanks. Although I do love Octavia Butler. Uh, I will oh, say. Yeah, <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with Octavia Butler. Uh, Frank Herbert, I have a lot of problems with, but okay. But, um, t- uh, and then also my, you know, my great sort of, my biggest influence across the board is John Le Carre, probably always and forever. Um, I just, I could read John LeCrae forever. I find his sentence writing to be just extraordinary. And like, um, and just in terms of plotting and also what we were talking about already with the nuance of character and like letting characters be fully three-dimensional and they're good and bad. Like, uh, I love LeCrae. Um, And yeah, and like, I guess with this book more than some of my previous ones, I have to say Stephen King. Even though I'm not like a horror writer in any sense, but I think that King... You know, obviously his influence is felt in a lot of genres. Um, and in this one, I think some of the kind of sense of dread that I wanted to create, like the, sure. the the slow bloom of unease of both of the kid's illness and then the kind of the bad guys who creep in, the cult figures, like that I think is really uh, um, reflects my, you know, like like every right thinking person. I've read Stephen King for a lot of years now. So I think that's all in there. So um, I... <sighs> I've I've read you for a long time as I think about it. I guess I've only I've only had the option to read you for about twelve years, but um, I, I've read you for most of that time. Thank you. And I, I'm sort of becoming aware, like a lot of your influences are sort of out outside of the sphere of a of a deeply embedded sci-fi nerd. So I I mean I've got to ask like <laughs> like you. S- you sort of get pigeonholed like people look at your stuff and they say you are sci-fi but every single one of your books that i've read is more something else than it is sci-fi do you ever resent that i don't resent anything i mean listen you'd be crazy to resent anything being a just just getting to publish books and that people read them is such a gift like i'm not i'm hardly going to be annoyed that people categorize my books one way or the other especially because i I mean, I don't, there's no question that I've made, like with each book I've, I've gone, I've struck out in somewhat of a different direction, right? There's no real through line in a sense. Uh, but yeah, like it's all, I think that in a way it's like the first book that I became really known for was The Last Policeman. Um, mm-hmm. And that book, I set out really to write a very unusual detective novel, right? My goal was how can I write a murder mystery in a way that we haven't seen before. And I was like, oh, well, it would be really interesting if the world was about to end. But my hero is nevertheless trying to solve this murder. And then, so I was like, okay, great. It's a really cool sort of thriller novel with this this twist, right? This high concept twist. Um, And for me, it was really a detective novel with a sort of philosophical underpinning because it became kind of an existential novel. But I guess what happens, you know, when you have a giant asteroid in your book, that's going to be a science fiction book, whether you like it or not. Right. Like that's, <laughs> that's just what it is. So like, I was like, Oh, cool. Okay. I guess it's a science fiction novel, but to me it was always a crime novel more than a sci-fi novel. Right. The whole series. But then, so like what was cool is that the first novel in that trilogy won the Edgar award for mystery writing. And then mm-hmm. countdown city, the second one won the Philip K. Dick award for sci-fi writing. So it was like, Oh, sorry, my dog's going to come in. So like oh. all of a sudden it was clear to me that I was doing both things. And like, I've always loved 
both, right? Mystery and sci-fi. And it doesn't seem to me that you have to pick one or the other. So it was like, great. And then I think that duality sort of governed my, has governed my career from that point on, right? So like, for example, Underground Airlines, which I did after the, the Policeman trilogy, like it's really speculative fiction, right? It is an that, alternate history novel. And like- That's that, the one where slavery was never eliminated, right? That is correct. It's a novel okay. about essentially, it's, it takes place in a contemporary America, but one in which Lincoln was assassinated before he was inaugurated. The Civil War was never fought. And it sort of imagines a kind of brutal, um, contemporary, late capitalist version of, of chattel slavery. Uh, it's a very dark, dystopian um, alternate history, although one that is very pointedly um, uh, has uh, sort of shows a lot of ways in which slavery, the, the effects of slavery are still with us, right, in our real world. I call it, a, you know, it's a, it's an alternate history that isn't alternate enough. But um, but sure. so so that book. I didn't think of a science fiction at all, except that it's speculative fiction, right? In the way of like, uh, you know, The Man in the High Castle or, you know, you name it. Michael Chabon, The Yiddish Policeman's Union, books like that, which are science fiction only because they're in that subcategory of spec fiction. I was going to ask you if you read Chabon, so that's pretty cool. So the Chabon novel, Yiddish Policeman's Union, is actually like a top five novel for me. That's like a very, not only do I love it very much, but I think it's really, it's, it's, it's had a huge influence on my work. I think he's also an incredible stylist, but also like mm -hmm. the way that he thought through Yiddish policemen and like, it was a big influence on that book in particular, airlines in particular. But so, and then at that point it was like, well, this is just what I'm doing, right? Every book I do in some way or another has some sort of, what I would just think of as like a high concept or a big premise, right? A big hook, but that I think in the marketplace, that's just seen as sci-fi, right? Like that's just what we think of as science fiction that in like what Philip K. Dick called like, you know, just asking these big swing what if questions like and not just like a little what if, but I think what is the quote? It's like it's not just what if it's my God, what if, you know, it's like <laughs> that's that's what you want to do. And that's what I've tried yeah. to do in all the books. Quiet Boy is a little different, but I am still trying to do that. Yeah, well, um, I I'm going to ask a question. I don't even know if we want it in the podcast. So you could call that right out as we move forward. It's your podcast, man. Well, yeah, but. But it's it's your career, man. I'm never going after you. Um, you, uh, one of the things that I think of when I think of Shaban, and I also when I think of you is is writing your faith. And I could be wrong, but it 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 seems to me that that um, that that sharing Judaism is a part of what's going on here, not in a proselytizing sense, but like writing what you know. You know, it's so um, funny, Pete, because like. This book, The Quiet Boy, more than anything I've written before, in a lot of ways, is is reflective of who I am, right? Draws from my own experience. Because certainly mm -hmm. the policeman novels didn't. Certainly the Underground Airlines, except in the sense that I'm a white American, like, and sort of conscious of these issues, was not a personal novel. Um, Golden State was a political novel, but not really personal. In this book, all of a sudden, I'm writing a lot about family and, like, the mm -hmm. experience of being a father and a son, and a, and, a, and, a, and a husband, you know, and um, also a lot about music, which I love and is really important to me and the law, which, as we've talked about, like comes from my experience and definitely the Judaism. And like. It's funny because I never there was a time in my life where I would have said that my religion was very much secondary to who I am, like not a sort of. But I think something like a lot of us, the experience of the last, uh, you know, four or five years of American history is like made me more conscious of the role of the minority, the immigrant uh, in this country, which, which, you know, extends to 
you know, the experience of Jews in America is different, but it's certainly like across history, the sort of otherness of, of Judaism is like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's something that people are conscious of. And so anyway, I've just been thought a yeah. lot more about my faith and who I am and all that sort of came into this book, not because I was okay. like, it's time. I really want to write about being a Jew, but it's like, I think just who I am is on my mind. And so that made its way sure. into this book. Well, and and I mean, I think I to be fair to me, which is something an interviewer should never say. No, it's very important. Yeah, you're, 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 but <laughs> I, I'm right now. I'm looking at your your writing through the lens of the last book I read, which is the Quiet Boy. So of course, I'm looking at that and going, "Aha! Yeah, yeah. Law and Judaism, you know? Yeah, so, no, totally. It's like, um, and like, I don't know that the book is about. Judaism as a religious practice. It isn't really, but I think it oh, is no. in some ways about what it means to be Jewish and like also what it means to be in a family and what it means to be related to someone. Like, is the, that's the other thing about the, one of the protagonists that we haven't talked about is Jay Shank's son, Ruben, who yes. is adopted, right? So he's Jewish and he's very much his father's son, but he's also Asian so he doesn't look Jewish. And so, and, and Ruben's sense of otherness and dislocation and like feeling like he, there's a mismatch between who he is on the outside and who he is in the inside is very much a part of that character. And so the Judaism stuff, I think also sort of informed the creation of that character and who I wanted him to yeah. be and feel like. That makes sense. Well, and I mean, uh, Judaism has a, it's, it's, it's almost like a Schrodinger's cat thing where depending on what we're talking about, it's very difficult to parse down whether we're talking about culture, religion, or race as we're talking about it until, until we reach a certain point of the conversation. So it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to talk about this stuff and let it be that cloud, which is really what's happening in the quiet boy. Like we aren't, we aren't tightening it down beyond that. And there's no reason we should. And I think it's hard to write like that unless it's just sort of natural. And I, I assume that's sort of what happened here is you just wrote it. You that's know? really interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. It's like, and it's like, if the characters were Catholic, if that was a part of the story, sorry, my dog is like literally trying to buy, you know, I, I have, I have a mastiff in the other room and my wife has him at headlock. So it's this year has been with all this. It's, been crazy. Uh, it's like, Oh, but you know, if the characters were a different a religion than I am not, I think I probably would have done my usual, like a bunch of research, right. And talk to people and try to get a sense of what it is like, you know, the experience of growing up in that religion is like, but with this, it was just like, it all just felt like I know what it's like to be a non practicing really or a not particularly religious Jew living in America and this kind of sense you bring to the world, um, which is like none of these characters care. They're not going to temple. There's no like Shabbat services happening. But at the same sure. time, <laughs> Ruben's nickname is the rabbi, like which is ironic, like everything about him. It's like offhand and ironic and like and like it's him putting a distance between his true self and the world. But like the fact that he uses that nickname is it's interesting to me. Like, I don't know where I came up yes. with it, but like the fact that like he essentially creates like a, a private investigator persona for himself. That is the rabbi, uh, which just, I don't know. It, it felt right to me. Like, cause he doesn't feel like he himself really knows what he's doing as a PI, but he ends up, There's he ends up solving, you know, or like stumbling after these, this mystery. And so he has to create a persona for himself where he can do that. I'm sort of channeling my mom for a second. There's a series of very famous detective books where the main detective is a is a rabbi, right? Yeah, it's like on you know on Tuesday the rabbi wore black or something like that. Yes. Like, yeah, on Thursday the rabbi came <laughs> home, which like and I actually my mom, who I think would probably like your mom, my mom read those, and I think I remember that seeing them 
on the shelf at home. I'm trying to remember the author's name, but yes, um, definitely a series. But those are about an actual literal rabbi who solves who okay. solves murders. Fair. And um, which would would harkens back to J.K. Uh, G.K. Chesterton's uh, famous novels, where there's a priest named Father Brown who solves mysteries, and those are great short mysteries from like, oh my God, I feel like they're from the early 1900s. So, um, uh, let me, let me be random for a second. Have you ever read the, the Benjamin January novels? No. What is, what is that? Oh, you're going to love this. Okay. So Barbara Hambly, uh, who's a, a, a fantasy author. She, she wrote historical fiction about, uh, Benjamin January, who is an African American in New Orleans before the civil war. And he was he was educated in France as a doctor, and he's basically a Sherlock Holmes characters. And so he'll be like, uh, he'll be in a situation where he solves the crime, and he's like, "Well, obviously the landholder over there did it because we have this and we have this and we have this." And everybody looks at him, and he's they're like, "Why is the black person talking?" Oh, this sounds and, this sounds like just the sort of thing I like. I love a good uh, historical mystery, and I'm actually uh, like really interested from all my. Well, as a he's a human being, but also from all my work on underground airlines and the in the sort of black experience in the early United States, like really interesting. I'm gonna totally check those out. Oh, awesome! Yeah, the, but yeah, I, I mean, she's. I generally, I with with the exception of Octavia Butler, I try and avoid that sort of writing because it's too painful. But like, I eat those like candy. I can't resist it because I just I love the writing, you know. I mean, that sounds great. And it sounds, it reminds me of how much I love like the early uh, Devil in a Blue Dress and, you know, the, the early Walter Mosley stuff, you know, with his, with Easy Rollins in LA in the 1940s and 50s, those books are so good. And, the, and they're part of what makes them so good is the, is the interaction, the fact of the character's blackness and the sort of the, the, the extra level of difficulty that the character has to navigate just to live in the world, let alone get to the bottom of a crime makes them sort of, it gives the whole, it just sharpens the whole experience of those books. I mean, I could also, God, there's also, um, my, uh, there's a book called Blind Man with a Pistol by Chester Himes. I think that's what it's called. Uh, and so he was writing, he was black and he was writing books that are set in Harlem, uh, mystery novels set in Harlem in the 50s, I think. I'm probably getting mm -hmm. that wrong. But also on a similar note, those are great. Anyway, we're way off track now. Oh, but uh, like that, that's the fun part of this show. It can go anywhere. Yeah, you might. Yeah, totally. It's fun. to. I mean, I could talk about books forever, as I think you could. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and one of the funny things uh, is I as I was getting ready for this, unfortunately, I had to do my homework. So in addition to, you know, reading a new book by you, which was awesome, I went I had to go to your bibliography so I could like like figure out the shape of your career and i'm like holy crap i have read ben a bunch of times without being aware that i did it well that's and, that's always good <laughs> yeah well um you there are some short story collections which are near and dear to my heart and unfortunately like when i read short stories i i sort of i'm like i dive into a genre and i often don't like take a close look at who I'm reading. So like you were in dead man's hand, which is my favorite weird West collection. Oh, I love those and, stories. Uh, that's John uh, Joseph Adams, that anthology. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you're, you're also in the end trilogy. Like the end is nigh. The end is now the end is. Yeah. 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 The end is here. here yeah. I I, yeah. So those were from before. 
The Last Policeman. I think both of those collections are or from right around that time. So we're talking about over 10 years ago. Talking about, we're ta- so I'm telling, I'm telling my kid that they don't need to take the dog. The dog is fine. Uh, the dog is not gnawing on my child's chair. Um, this, this is a pro dog podcast. It's fine. It's funny because I make this joke a lot now, but I've been, you know, I wrote this book called The Quiet Boy and the whole book tour I spent being like, quiet boy, quiet. <laughs> those, so those short stories are from a long time ago. And so the old, the, uh, for the, the, uh, the Dead Man's Hand book, I wrote a story called The Old, The Old Slow Man and His Golden Gun from Space. I think I'm getting that right. Um, which I loved writing. I remember because basically the assignment was, you know, write a sci-fi story set in the Old West. And so it's about two, um, they're, they're miners. They're panning for gold. And then an alien comes. That's basically, that's the setup. And it was really fun. <laughs> I kind of forgot about it. I, so you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a dumb thing to say because I own the book, but I remember that. I love that story. And that that is so cool to like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like another way of rediscovering an author. Well, that's neat. And, the, you know, it's funny because the I don't I don't generally write short stories. It's not. Um, although in the last few years I've started to. I've mainly been a novelist and I've only written stories more or less when I've been asked to do one for an anthology. You know, so when, so when someone has a theme, it's almost like you get a prompt, you know, as a when you're a student. And so I enjoy doing that one. I did those. The end is nine ones. And I've done a few crime stories. And I actually just did one for. Um, you know, the, the, uh, do you know the noir anthologies like LA noir, New Orleans noir, like uh, I think it's Akashic books does them anyway, they, they're starting a new series called speculative, uh, you know, set in different cities. So I wrote a story for speculative LA, um, which it's anyway. So yes, I like to write short stories, but I don't do it terribly often. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, I mean, I guess it's as much a business question as anything is like I have I have interviewed oh I don't know probably a hundred authors over the last two and a half years. Oh my God, I'm so and, sorry. <laughs> but one of the things we hear it again and again is that it, like it really sucks to be a writer right now because like it, it used to be you would be a writer and it was a career and people would give you money and you would buy write books and everything would be fine. But you you either need to be like an incredible self promoter or you need to have um uh I, I I don't know you 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 need to have a sideline as a doctor like there needs to be something going on to like m- make all of the numbers add up and make make your life how how is it possible that you're uh you're a, a, such a consistent writer. As as well as as having like a family and established life, like what's what's your secret? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that probably the kind of the, the to a certain extent, the kind of view of how of how it used to be easier and better, and now it's hard, is probably at least a little bit, you know, um, not true. Although I don't really know. I, I don't. I'd have to. I'd be interested to read a study of that. Like, has it actually gotten harder to support yourself as an artist? Um, at this point, it, maybe it has. I mean, I think there are definitely factors that have made it trickier. And this country is never easy on people trying to make a living as an artist, whether you're a performer or a writer. Um, I think we have a cultural uh, problem where we think of writers as either huge celebrities or poor, right? Or struggling artists. I mean, it's the same way we look at actors, right? It's like, oh, you're an actor. Oh, you're either an A-list movie star or you're no one. You know, that's the only, those are the only two kind of categories we have in our head for artists. Um, we don't have sure. any, any sort of um, 
sort of space in our minds for just a working artist, right? Like I am not a, um, I'm not a best-selling author. I mean, I have been, I've been on the lists, but I'm not like a consistently huge selling author, but neither am I, um, you know, struggling and just getting started. Like I, I'm a mid-list author. That's, that's, uh, you know, consistently. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know what the answer is exactly to how I put the, the numbers together. Like in truth, a big part of it is television. Like I've lived in LA now, first of all, so when I started publishing books, um, uh, we lived, you know, I'm trying to think. So, and also I'm married to someone who, uh, you know, over the years we've sort of taken turns being the greater earner. So there have been times, you know, before I was, you know, truly successful as a writer when, you know, my wife was earning, uh, enough for us to sort of put our family together. And like now we sort of gone back and forth and like, we are lucky for that, you know, we're to have that. And like, we're lucky that we've had health insurance through her work before I could get it through the writer's guild, like stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and oh, and so television, like we, I've been in LA now for five years and though I have, I've worked a couple times on staff gigs on shows and I've had numerous development opportunities for my books or other things that I've sold. And like, I'm by no means what you would call a huge success in television. Like I do not have a series on the air that I created, but it's been enough to supplement the writing income, you know, from the books that it's like that, that helps a lot. So like, um, that's a big part of the answer, but also the other third part is that there's anxiety, you know, there's a constant, like with like any writer, you, you just never know what the next thing's going to do. And you never, you can never feel totally certain that like five years from now, you're going to be at the same level you are now. And like, that's scary, but it's also, but it, that goes with the territory. I'm very, very lucky. Um, and, and I don't take it for granted that I'm able to do something, um, for a living that I get joy from, you know, and also to like put something out in the world that other people might connect with. Like th that's a huge thing. Um, and so, but part of what goes along with that is, um, a constant low level anxiety to like, it'll all just fall apart tomorrow, you know? Uh, but, um, so there you go. That's the, that's the riddle of it. Right. You're it's yeah. like, it's like the, it's the, it's. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't want to minimize when people are like, oh God, it's such a hard job. Of course it's hard. Of course it is. Like, but it's also, it, it has, it has a lot of gifts and, um, there's really nothing I'd rather be doing. I, um, I had a number of friends, uh, like I, I, I went to college for theater and I had a number of friends who ended up, uh, heading West and trying to join the film industry. And one of the things I become very, very familiar with is the pitch. And the idea that when you're trying to get something across, like it's like this is Heather's meets Aliens or like whatever it is. Have you had to do that with your books? Oh, yeah, totally. A ton. A ton. And I always say it's like Heather's meets Aliens. That's my go to. <laughs> That's my. It's a so, bunch of. Yeah. Bunch of so what, really what was the Quiet aliens. Boy? Uh, the Quiet Boy was the toughest thing I, I pitched, actually. And actually, so Quiet Boy, it, because it just came out. I haven't really done the Hollywood thing with it yet. You know, there's definitely a Hollywood thing that happens when people have some interest in the book and you need to kind of craft a pitch. Um, and you know, The Last Policeman has a fairly straight down the middle pitch, right? Like it's a murder mystery that takes place in the last year of life on earth. That's pretty straightforward. Quiet Boy is trickier. It's definitely like, it's a braided, it's two legal thrillers in one. And at the center of it is this, is this weird science fiction um, brain injury, right? Like that's how I sort of mm -hmm. boil it down. Um, but then, you know, what you need to do with the pitch is you need to get people interested enough that they start asking questions and then you start filling it in and you get to what, and there's gotta be levels to it, right? Cause the first level is just, well, what's the kind of the surface level premise? And then the next level is, 
how does it break down into a movie or a show? You know, what are the kind of like, what are the episodic elements or the, or the beginning, middle and end? And then below that for me is the really interesting part of like, what is this about? You know, why does somebody walk away from this still thinking about it? Um, which like, again, like with The Last Policeman, it's like that is a, a murder mystery that is really about what it means to be a person with a limited lifespan as we all are. You know, like that's about something. And like Underground Airlines, is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chase story. You know, it's a fugitive story, but it's really about racism in the United States. So like you, to, for me, it's like it's not worth doing unless it's about something um, deeper, more meaningful. No, that that makes a ton of sense, and it 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 turns it turns into a, a question that could be a little silly into something contemplative, and I respect that. That's the way to go. Um, I so like I talked earlier about how I I've I've read your work without realizing I read your work back with Dead Man's Hand and the the End trilogy, um, and then it occurred to me that it had happened before. I mean, there were two Ben Winters to me. There was the Ben Winters who wrote The Last Policeman, and then there was the the gentleman who wrote Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, and I was not aware that they were the same person because like those are very they're very different authors' journeys. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, right? I mean that's yeah. this okay, so this is the thing that I think is potentially of interest to people who are uh writers or would be writers like it's it there's no clear journey on this you know profession there's no and every writer has their own kind of story and so for me it was just a bit of good luck that i was in the right place at the right time to get that gig um which is just like literally i had met the guys the team at cork books um and i was doing some small nonfiction stuff for them when pride and prejudice and zombies came out and they really just needed someone to do a sequel like quickly, someone who they thought could do it well. And so they 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 were like, well, well, maybe Ben could do it. I was like, yeah, totally. I will do that. Great. You want me to mash up Sense and Sensibility with, with Sea Monsters and Pirates? Like, fine. That'll be really fun. And they're like, here's what we'll pay you. And I was like, I don't care what you'll pay me. That'll be great. And like, so I did it and I did it quickly and I think I did it well. And like, it was a New York Times bestseller. But like, it was going to be, no matter who did it, because Zombies was such a huge hit for them. So I really just had to do it competently and have fun with it. And it was this sort of, this great stroke of luck. Now, then I did Android Karenina, which was the next one in the series. And then after that, I was like, okay, I don't think I want to wake up 30 years from now and be like, this is what I did for a living. You know what I'm saying? I was like, okay, that was really cool. Now, what is going to happen with my career? But it, it was definitely an extraordinary opportunity for my name to get out there, to do a professional job as a writer with things that were like, they, they didn't originate with me. They were assignments, but like the, the job as it always is to do the very best with what you've been, the opportunity you've been given, you know? So it's like, I could have been like, well, that's insane. I don't want to do that. But it was like, why would I say that? Why wouldn't I just say, yes, take this opportunity and then see what I can make of it. And ultimately that led me to more work with Cork Books and to the Last Policeman series, which became like, as I think I've said, like my first, what I think of as my first sort of real novel that reflects who I am, you know, and what, what the kind of writing I want to do. So, I mean, it does sound like there's some sort of uh, there, I uh, milestones. I guess we could call them. So, like we've we've got we've got a we've got a milestone where where sense and sensibilities and sea monsters showed up, and and then we have another one with the last policeman. Where would you say the other ones are? Like, what what are what are the big peaks in your career so far? Well, I think that 
That's such an interesting question. It's like sometimes these things aren't really clear until a long time later. I think sure. that with Underground Airlines, that was a big moment because that's when I moved from Cork Books, who I loved and had an incredible experience with. But then it was like with, with Airlines, I didn't we didn't we didn't really think that would be an appropriate book to publish with Cork. I'm not sure that they I think they probably would have agreed. It just and so that was my opportunity to sort of quote unquote jump to the 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 a major publisher, right? And so mm-hmm. There was interest from a bunch of different publishers, you know, I, he says humbly. And so I sort of made this big decision to go with Mulholland. And that was a huge moment because Mulholland has been my home now since then. And I love my editor there. I think they do beautiful work with the books themselves. So that was a big moment. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know. At this point, I don't know. To me, I feel like The Quiet Boy is a milestone just because I think it represents a sort of a more mature and sophisticated kind of writing that I'm, I'm, I've always sort of, I'm always groping toward, you know, like you, you have something in your head of what you want the books to be and you can only measure them against how close you come to that, you know, to your imagined version of the book. And I feel like with the quiet boy, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting closer and closer. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when you write my obituary, you can say what the milestones were. You know? <laughs> well, we'll do an episode on that. Yeah, I please promise. do. I look forward to it. I, my ghost will listen to that. You know, I can't help but think like if if I were if if somebody offered for me to work at uh, Mahalan uh, uh, Books, I'd be worried about like lynching events happening. Like there's a murder in the corner and you're seeing it, and nobody else in the room is, and that sort of thing. Like there's like a red curtain and a checkerboard floor. You're like, I'm not going over there. You know, I know, <laughs> I know. It's funny because you know I live here in LA, so I do. I actually every once in a while I have an occasion to drive on Mulholland, which is you know the street that the, that the house is named after. And I think I've even managed to slip it into a couple of the books. Um, but yeah, there you go. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, I, I guess, I, I guess I, I had one last prepared question and um, it, I don't know, it might be a little sensitive and, and that is one of the things your characters in everything I've read of you do well and do like humanly and in a complex way is grieve. And I, yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's like, like your, your work is richer than that, but it does seem like grief is a cornerstone of, of what you build your characters on. Could, could you talk a little about that or am I off? No, I mean, I definitely never have thought about it in those terms. And now I'm like sort of thinking back through the books, but definitely you're right. I think that um, Hank Pallas, who's the hero of the policeman books, on the one level is grieving for his parents who were both gone when he was a kid, but also he's grieving for all of humanity, right? The whole book is a, is a, is a um, you know, it's an elegy for the soon to be gone world. Uh, and then in Underground Airlines, certainly the hero of that book um, has significant tragedy in his past. And up to this one, of course, um, which is all about uh, a lot about grief. I mean, I think that grief is at the center of what it means to be a person. Like, I think that, you know, as human beings processing sad events and like learning to understand that, you know, the death is always with us. Like these are, these are part of what makes us human. And, and I think part of what I'm trying to do with my books is, is to reach some, something essential about what it is to be a human being. <laughs> I mean, which sounds extremely pretentious, I realize as I say it, especially for like a genre writer, but like, that's what we should be trying to do with, with art. I, well, no, I wouldn't even say it prescriptively. Like that's what, that's not what we should be doing. That's what, that's what some of the art that I love best. It's funny you mentioned David Lynch, but like some of the art that I love best is like groping toward 
some vision of what it means to be a person in a profound way. And I guess in my, you know, bizarre mystery sci-fi way, that's what I'm trying to do is like, and so I'm not surprised to hear it framed that way, that the books to, to lesser or greater extent are about grief because that's such a central part of being a person. Um, and I think it from a more like basic craft level, it helps us to connect with characters because it's something that we've all experienced or, you know, that we understand as part of the human experience. So like when I'm trying to create a bridge between a character who might be significantly different than you, the reader, um, I think adding elements that are recognizable in that way helps to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And one of the things about, uh, being a genre writer that is 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 sort of liberating it's like there's this there's this whole measured ceremonial dance that people in the 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 white tower literature area have to have to connect with whereas a, a genre writer can simply communicate what they want to communicate and i mean, honestly it, it ends up like long term that means that literature writers come from outside the tower and it's it's one of the nice things when i read a a writer that is interesting is i know i've got a there's a better chance of that surviving. Like if you think about, well, I don't, I don't know why I'm trying to reassure you that your career is going to be great, but I feel that way. <laughs> no, someone's got to do it. I oh, think, right? <laughs> I'm like, so, I mean, I've said this in other contexts, but like, I think the, the genre distinctions are useful in the marketing sphere, but at the end of the day, it's like, there are really only two genres. There's good and bad, right? And I yeah. want my work to be good. And like, you can give me, you know, there are great, great works of literary fiction. Of course there are, but there are also great, great works of science fiction, great, great works of fantasy. But there's also terrible works of fantasy and terrible works of science fiction. And there's terrible works of literary fiction. So like, I, I will always, I would be happy to be recommended a good or great book from any of these categories. Um, and I think that as readers, it's, it's always beneficial to like, just go far and wide, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 actually one of my weaknesses is I've I've drilled so deep into science fiction and fantasy that I was sort of resentful towards the whole literary world. And it's one of the nice things about this podcast is people keep jerking me over and it's like, well, no. Well, the other thing is there was uh, like, well, maybe that's just your jam, you know, like there's also nothing wrong with that. If that's if that gives you pleasure and joy to just be like, this is the stuff that I love, then like, great. You know, we only live once. There's no reason to force yourself to read stuff you don't want to read. I just think like there, and so what's interesting, too, though, is that I think a lot of literary, quote unquote, literary writers are doing stuff that is essentially science fiction and fantasy. They're just not called that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, sure. Some of the great novels of American history, like Toni Morrison's Beloved, is it, there's ghosts in that book. You know what I mean? Like, right. To, to, as there are in Turn of the Screw, you know, and like and like, you know, Moby Dick is just an adventure story. So like that. To, well, to, and, and you can feel Margaret Axe Atwood bristle at the idea of that people are shoving her into one corner, you yeah. know? I mean, that, totally. Margaret Atwood, like, is a, is a extraordinary science fiction writer, you know? Like, and so you read something like Handmaid's Tale, and, like, you could, that's considered a great work of literature, which it is, but it's a speculative fiction novel, right? Like, that's just what it is. Um, yeah. So anyway, and I think that, you know, there's an, an effort to sort of claim Octavia Butler, for, for, for one example, as a literary novelist, which is which is just because they're, the themes are deep, the characters are real, it's emotionally impactful. But like, I think that, well, what do I know? But I mean, it, she was a science fiction novelist and a great one. And so like, it, not, you don't have to be one or the other, you know? Um, yeah. 
So I, I basically have one more question for you, which is, you know, if my audience is listening and they like what they're hearing, how do they give you money and read your stuff? What are the channels? <laughs> how do I mean, they can give me, well, you know, I, I like to, I, I always like to urge people, well, first of all, thank you. If you want to read my stuff, like there's a, there are now a bunch of books out there. Um, I, I would love it if people would buy The Quiet Boy. Um, because it just came out and it's, but it is still in hardcover, which is more expensive. You can try to get it from your library. If your library has, if your library doesn't have it, like if you go to your library and there's a book you want, they're like, we don't have that. You should always be like, please order it. Can you order it for me? Um, because that way they buy a copy and also that way other people discover it. So, um, buy it or go to the library, buy it at your local, you know, independent bookstore. I'm a big proponent. It's probably a bit, a lot of the authors you talk to are of going to the bookstore. I definitely fell into the trap earlier in my career of like constantly checking the Amazon numbers and telling people to buy on Amazon. But like, it stinks. It's really a racket. And like Amazon has plenty of money. They could stop selling books right now and it would barely affect their bottom line. Whereas there are these hundreds and hundreds of beautiful small businesses that could totally use your, your custom. So go to your local independent bookstore, ask them for The Quiet Boy or The Last Policeman Trilogy or Underground Airlines or Golden State. I don't care. And let me know what you think. You can always email me, winters3000 at gmail.com. I love hearing from readers. It's like my favorite. So um, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, Ben, I'm really glad you were able to make the show. Uh, everybody, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, subscribe if you're not and buy Ben's stuff, all right? Like that, I, I strongly recommend. Thank you so much. This has really been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>